Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. Opening day tomorrow. How Opening about day that? day tomorrow. I'm so excited about this season. I, you know, sometimes I say things with uh, a little bit of uh, I don't I don't know if it's a lisp or something, but I, I say things, you know, and I say, shh. So and I, I do that when I'm when I'm talking really quickly. So sometimes I'll say to people, you know, I'm 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 so excited, but I'll say I'm so excited because I'm I'm talking really quick. I'm so excited for this season because of what Shohei Otani did over the WBC. Otani um, seems to be a fan favorite, man. It's he's, it's he's insane. He's insane. Um, like I knew he was great, and what he did in the WBC, I can't say that like the stuff or how hard he hit the ball surprised me. He just absolutely dominated though. Like there's a difference between, you know, hitting well and he's, he on base percentage over 500. He's, he, he hit a batting average in the four hundreds. He absolutely slugged the ball. Like, and, and he was throwing 102 miles an hour. Nobody could hit him. So uh, the WBC ending the way that it did, uh, Trout versus Otani, which is a matchup you're never going to see ever again in their careers. They're on the same team. They're going to be on the same team. I cannot imagine the Angels letting Otani go. They'll probably give him $50 million a year. But you'll never see that matchup again. Otani versus Trout. Um, work the count. Last at bat, WBC. Um, game on the line. You'll, you'll never see that again. That was a historic moment. And if you know where you were, when you were watching that moment, you, you'll probably remember that for the rest of your life if you understand just how significant that was. The two best players of all time. And the only time where in their prime they're going to be facing each other, pitcher-hitter. Or at least, you know, pitcher-side for Otani. Um, I, I can't imagine it ending better. And now we have six months of baseball as well as the playoffs ahead of us. And we're all hyped up already. So... This is an unbelievably exciting season. I also I didn't take any time off in this last year. Usually I'll take a couple of years off or a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, about a couple of weeks off, maybe like three, four weeks off, maybe maximum, maybe six weeks off a year, something like that. Uh, I took no weeks off this year. So in theory, the product should be better. The the results should be better. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into that. We are going to likely part one of a two part. Uh, of the, out, the 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 portion of the player list that is outfielders, it is 80 players deep. So I don't know if we're going to be able to cover it, it without a part one and a part two just for the outs the outfield part of the list. But we have now gone over basically every single other position. So once we make our way through this this outfielder list, you will have access to every single player who is on our preseason top player list for the majors and minors position players. You'll have access to all of them across these videos. Now, you're going to have to keep checking in as time goes on. It's not like you can just take that information and run because I, I, I don't plan to take a break for a long period of time, which means there's going to be adjustments made on the list on a week-to-week -week basis, maybe one player adjustments, two player adjustments, nothing crazy. But over the course of a full season, all of those weeks, that's a lot of adjustments. That's a lot of change. So you're definitely going to have to keep checking back here for that one or two adjustments per week. Um, like, for example, 
in this last week, there was uh, a few adjustments that I had to make on the list. Um, Travis Darno, he dropped off the main list. Um, I did a little study last last week about um, catcher defense, where I was looking at the guys who are the best at blocking and the guys who are the best at throwing guys out and throwing arm in general. Uh, best, you know, pop time to second base, that type of thing. And I wasn't looking at framing because framing is going to go away very soon because we're going to have automated zones. Uh, but Darno didn't grade well in terms of framing. He didn't grade well in terms of his throwing arm. He's constantly hurt. He's a right-handed hitter, so most of his numbers are going to come versus lefties. He does show up in big games, but he's not exactly a good base runner either. So given the fact that he's mainly going to be a backup catcher moving forward, which is, to be honest, the role that he should be in, with all of those other skills, um, he's way too big of a risk to have as an everyday option. Whether he's going to hit righties is doubtful. Whether he's going to stay healthy is doubtful. Whether he's going to give you adequate defense is doubtful. Um, and then with the only thing working in his favor is that he can play catcher. He can put the equipment on for um, an everyday basis, although he wouldn't particularly be very good back there. And he hits lefties, shows up versus righties in big games. That's not enough for me. So he dropped off the list. Uh, this was a hard one. Uh, Jorge Mateo dropped off the list. He has no hitting ability. Great defender, insane base runner. Um, you can only not hit to such a degree. Um, if you're slugging 340 and you're on, uh, your batting average is you know 230 uh, and you're, you're on base percentage is 290, um, I'm not sure how great of a base runner you are, how great of a defensive shortstop you are. I don't think that that's going to be able to account for it. Um, so he's off the list. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, another guy who I was kind of surprised to take off the list, uh, given that, you know, he's a guy who crushes lefties and, you know, his weaker side is as, is as a lefty hitter because of that, you know, switch hitter um, with the shift going away because the shift is going away. Um, I thought it would even out his splits, but independent of that, I just decided to see who he really was. And I looked at the seasons he did well. He had a season he did well off of polish. Then you have the juiced ball year. Then you had a bit of a hiccup year. Um, and then the last two years, he's basically been the same guy where he's toasted lefties, done nothing versus righties. His positions are second base and third base, and he's not particularly good at either. He's adequate. I'd say he's below average at second. Um, and he's not exactly, you know, a guy who I can predict to be a significant enough base runner, at least consistently, um, to say that, you know, he can balance out that stuff on the bases. There is versatility here. There is a switch hitter here. There is power versus lefties here. Um, there's He's not going to kill you on the bases. So he has value. I'm just not sure that he's a top player. Um, so he's off the list. Um, Brooks Lee. And uh, Brooksley ended up going from shortstop to on the honorable mentions. Um, I worry a little bit about his ability to drive the ball at the higher levels. He's got great hand-eye coordination, but um, if he has to move to second base where he would be a gold glove defender, um, the offense needs to be a little bit better. And it's not like he can't do it why he's on the honorable mentions, but it's why he drifted off of the main list. Um, Trey Sweeney. That's a guy who has joined the main list. Um, 
his swing got much better in the second half of last season. He's also a six foot three, six foot four shortstop, meaning if he puts on muscle, which I know if he moves to third, that's what he's going to do. He's not going to have to focus as much on the range. I think more power is going to come. And with a swing like that, at least 20 homers, at least 20 homers from the left side. If he can somehow stay at shortstop, you're looking at a superstar. Um, So he jumped onto the list. Uh, Anthony Rendon. That's another guy who jumped onto the list. He's been hurt the last couple of years. He was a stud before that. He went off in spring training. I don't believe a guy who's been that consistently good should just be taken off the list, especially the fact that he's a good base runner as well. And it's not like he can't be utilized at second in a pinch. He's done that in the past. And in his prime, he was a 300, 400, 500 hitter, um, which is 300 batting average, 400 on base percentage, 500 slugging. It's a fantastic triple slash line uh, to be able to carry. Um, So he's back on the list. Now, most of the guys that have come in to replace these guys are actually outfielders. So we're going to be going over them. Um, And that's why you you see some guys jumping off the list, some guys jumping on the list, and it doesn't really seem like it lines up too much. Um, Because the ones that replace the guys who are jumping off the list, they're outfielders, and we haven't gone over them yet. So Without further ado, let's just go over the outfielders. First, Chris, as always, we're going to go over the guys that everybody knows. So, Of course, it's easiest. A little bit of a shelf thing going on there. Um, Starling Marte. Got my new new, uh, expo marker, dry erase marker. Starling Marte. Maybe I got to get a better one. This one's not writing good. Starling Marte is the current... Uh, Right fielder of the New York Mets. Um, Elite defender in a corner. Although, to be fair, he hasn't played right field for almost his whole career. Left field, he was so darn good in left field that he got the opportunity to play center field. Uh, And he got that opportunity a lot later than a lot of people get their opportunity to play center field. But he was so good in left field. And he had come up in the minors as a center fielder in difference to McCutcheon moved to left. Um, that since then he's, he's been considered as a regular center fielder, but it, it is something that we have to remember is that in his back pocket, he's gold glove and left hits for average hits for power, steals bases, true five tool talent. I don't know why people don't talk about him as much. Julio Rodriguez rookie of the year last year. Got to see him yearly in the AFL the last three, four years. Superstar. Superstar. He may have to change a couple of things with his swing mechanics. Then again, with as big and strong as he is, he might just be able to muscle his way through those uh, those swing mechanics. Where on a ball that you know a normal person would hit to the the the, the right side, ground to, to the second baseman, he hits so hard it just gets through the right side. Um, at least that's the type of guy that he could be. But if he does ever make that swing change, oh my goodness, you're looking at 45-plus homers every single year. Then we have Trouter, Mike Trout, currently the best player of all time. Era-dependent, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's been a top-three player in the sport for 11 years running. I don't know when the last time that happened, you know. Usually guys have peaks. You know, they, they're a top three player for three years, and then they become a top 10 player for the next six years, and then they fall off. He was a top three player for 11 seasons in a row. There's a million reasons. You find a million articles about the greatness of Mike Trout. 
Otani's only done it two, three years, three, really three years. Um, if Otani can do it for three more years, then he'll overtake Trout. But right now, given that Trout has done it for 11 years, he's the best player that, you know, uh, we've ever seen. Not at any one point in time, because that's Otani, but collectively, consistently. Uh, so everybody knows Trout. Everybody knows Buxton. That's another one that everybody knows. Byron Buxton, speedster, has power, has batting average. I'm going to move this a little farther back so I'm not hitting this shelf here. Um, we have yeah, Buxton, one of the fastest guys in the game, arguably the best defensive center fielder in the game. He has injury issues, but he's so damn productive when he's on the field, offensively, batting average, aggressive profile, does take his walks, runs the bases like a madman, serious power. Um and he's so good defensively that even though he's only going to play probably about 100 games a year, 110 games a year at worst, 90 games a year, at least that's what I'm projecting moving forward, um, he still puts up better numbers than most people do full season with that playing time. And as long as he's healthy for the playoffs, fine with it, absolutely fine with it. Just you know, use, use the playing time that you were you know, going to get from him that you're not getting for a kid. Bring that kid and get him some, you know, get his feet wet, as they say. Um, Luis Robert. Now, the White Sox have not exactly been as good as all the projections the last few years, including mine, have said that they should be. So I do feel that some people are like, wait, who, who's Luis Robert? At least the casual fan. Luis Robert, for all intents and purposes, is like a like a young 20s version of Starling Marte. Basically the same skill set. Plus center fielder, plus center fielder. No defensive weakness, no defensive weakness. Plus, plus base runner, plus, plus base runner. Hits for average, hits for average, hits for similar levels of power. So that's awesome, especially when you realize that Robert is like 10 years longer, younger than, than Marte. So Robert could really become something, and it, you know he's a guy who it wouldn't be out of out of it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for him to win an MVP in the future. That is a really big claim to make, but it's true. That's entirely possible for him. And we have Mookie Betts. Everybody knows Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts, professional bowler. Mookie Betts, five-tool outfielder, and now this year. Mookie Betts, at least part-time. He might end up playing more than that second baseman. You want to talk about an athlete, professional bowler, plus-plus center fielder who had to move to right field because of uh, other players who were really good in center. He came up in the minors playing second base, and the Dodgers think he's still so athletic that they can move him back there. Again, I don't really expect it to be a full-time move. I still expect him playing most of the year in right field, but the fact is that the fact that they're even being like, oh, yeah, we could play him 30 games there is insane. He hasn't played it since, like, what, seven years ago, something like that? He hasn't played second base, but he was a gold glove caliber defender at second down in the minors, similar to how Bellinger was a gold glove caliber first baseman down in the minors. If anyone can do it, he can do it. So Mookie Betts by next year might end up being on our second base list because if they put him full time at second base, or if, even if he just shows that he can do it, he'll show up on my list at that. It's optimized. He'd be easily the best second baseman in the game, and it wouldn't be close. It wouldn't be anywhere close. Um, okay, so we have Mookie Betts. Jazz Chisholm. Now, 
everybody knows this guy's second baseman for Miami. But Miami in the offseason got Luis Arias and they got Gene Segura. The plan is they're moving him to center field. And with his athleticism, his foot speed, all of it, I project him to be gold glove level in center field. Now, it's interesting because he was already a very good infielder. However, he was a good infielder because he was an electric athlete. I'm not sure he was a great infielder because of uh, fine-tuned movements, polish, as they say. You move him to center field. You let him focus on the bat. I think that there's another level in here. So Chisholm, center fielder now of the Marlins. Then we have Michael Harris, another rookie of the year guy. This was a guy who I got to see in the Arizona Fall League, another of the many players I've gotten to see there. He came in as a guy that people were thinking, oh, well, he's going to be in the bottom third of the lineup. Maybe you'll have to platoon him. He'll be a corner outfielder. He's turned himself into an elite defender and a true middle-of-the-order hitter, or at least a guy at the front of the middle of the order, uh, all through effort. You don't see that happen very often. You have to absolutely tip your cap when you see it. He's a perfect Atlanta Brave, center fielder of the Braves right now. Um, okay, so now we have Kyle Tucker, the second-best left-handed hitter on the Astros. And might be the second best hitter on their team, period. Um, runs the bases. Elite right field defender. You probably put him in center field. Uh, hits for average. Hits for power. Left-handed hitter. Runs the bases. I think I said that. Um, stud. All around stud. He was a top prospect. The interesting thing was um, he had this really unique swing that was a lot like Ted Williams. And I believe there was like this Ted Williams like documentary or some sort of feature and they needed somebody to, to act as him. Tucker did that. So he's a really, really cool player to, uh, to root on because he's got that Ted Williams like level swing to the point where he showed up in a, like a documentary about it. But he's also in his own right, like a superstar at the plate plus-plus base runner, and he could probably be a plus-plus center fielder. He's an elite right fielder. So that's Tucker. Then we got a couple of guys that we can go through real quick. Acuna, stud. Everybody knows him. Pure athlete. Cannon of a throwing arm. Best throwing arm of any, any player in, in the outfield in the majors. Judge, he of the 62 home runs. Everybody's been hearing about him the whole offseason. I really just don't need to say anything there. Um, then we have Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, he's moving to the outfield. I mean, if you look at who they have in their infield, it makes sense. Their infield is full. Tatis is going to be an interesting outfielder. When we saw him there last, he was more of a corner outfielder where he could use his throwing arm. But I think he knows that he's going to be an outfielder coming back, which means he's likely been practicing outfield you know, coming back from, from the suspension and everything. Given his athleticism, I do see a possibility that with Trent Grisham about to fall off a cliff offensively, you could see Tatis being the center fielder of the San Diego Padres fairly easily by the end of the year. Um, but he needs to have taken those, those steps uh, in his time off the field. Uh, as we know, true middle-of-the-order talent, absolute stud at the plate, um, but given the fact that he's got that shortstop range and he's got a cannon of a throwing arm, I really see big things from him in center. Um, 
Chris Bryant. He's been hurt recently. Still think he's the same guy. Um, not necessarily in a utility way. I don't think he's ever going to be able to play the infield again. He's a corner outfielder at this point. That's fine. It allowed him to focus on the bat. Um, he's a good base runner, not great. You know, he's not what he used to be on the bases, but he's still good. Um, and I genuinely think, you know, him being out there in that ballpark in Colorado, um, I think with his particular type of swing, he hits the ball out front a lot like J.D. Martinez, which makes it so that the ball really spins coming off the bat. Well, spin really plays in Colorado with the thin air. He keeps the ball up. And uh, I think that that could allow Chris Bryant, even through decline, to have some really big seasons. And it's going to be cool. I think this might be Charlie Blackman's last good year removed from elbow surgery. He was killing it before elbow surgery. So Bryant and him back-to-back is going to kind of be cool without the shift. Um, Then we have Springer. George Springer. He's getting moved to right field in difference to Kiermaier which makes sense because you also have Varsho who's now in left field and both of them are far superior defenders to Springer. However, Springer's able to play center because he's such a darn good right fielder. He's going to be moving back to right field. So whether you put him at center, which you could, if you get different guys in the corner and you really need to have a center fielder or whether he's in right field, the defense is going to be where you need it. He's a power hitter. He's a good enough base runner, good enough. He's not the base runner he used to be. He's not going to kill you on the bases. The big thing for him, the biggest thing for him, is not only that he's you know a productive hitter, that he's a good defender. This is a guy who shows up in big moments. This is a guy you trust in big moments. He'll hit you that big three-run home run with the game on the line. So if you have the ability to def- defend it, you can do it in center and you have that type of power hitting ability, and you're that type of aggressive hitter, um, you got to show up on here. You're, you're probably a top 50 player in the entire sport. Um, I, yeah, I'd have Springer as a top 50 definitely in the whole sport. Um, maybe higher than that, maybe top 40, maybe top 30. He's very good. Juan Soto. Everybody knows Soto. He's a baseball god playing in San Diego now. I don't really need to say anything else. Also, Stanton, Giancarlo Stanton. Such a physical beast that he's been able to delay his decline. And even through the delaying of the decline, he's found out a way from going to be a patient hitter to turning into an aggressive hitter. Last year, he was putting up Aaron Judge numbers, keeping right pace with Aaron Judge through the first half of the season. Second half of the season, Stanton was playing through a lot of different stuff. And if you're looking at him, if he just does anything close... It's what he did in the first half of last year. You're looking at another 35 home run season, at least, from him. And he's also going to be playing more time in the outfield, which always, when he plays in the outfield, he feels more better. He, he, more better. He feels more confident and or better <laughs> in the batter's box. And when he's confident, he has his feet underneath him. You can really tell whether he's going to hit by looking at how he's using his feet. When he has his feet underneath him, there's very little you can do as a pitcher. If you give him something to hit, he'll take you yard or go off the fence. If you don't give him something to hit, he'll hit it through the infield. Um, and that's kind of the guy that he's been closer to now that he's been he's turned himself into more of an aggressive hitter. Um, he knows that he doesn't have to work the count to get something to hit to do well. He can literally just put the bat on it. He's so dang, uh, dang strong. Um, now, 
Stanton, there is a little bit of a risk because of his age. But if you're able to, to, to be that type of guy where you could be a plus-plus defender in a corner and put up 35 home runs, even if you're, you're putting up 25 home runs with 40 doubles, with plus-plus defense in a corner playing a little bit of DH, who shows up in big moments, that's the other thing Stanton does, there's more than enough value for him to, to stay on the list. Charlie Blackman, I brought him up earlier. Blackman had an elbow thing, or maybe it was a knee thing. It was one of the two. And it stopped him dead in his tracks from having one of the best years of his career. He went from being like 30, 35% above league average, just falling off a cliff right to around league average. Last two months of the season that he played through that, he was a good 35% below league average both months. It messed up his whole year. I think with the shift gone and healthy, I think he has one last hurrah before age ends up uh, tracking him down. Um, so now we have Harrison Bader. Bader had plantar fasciitis last year, which is never a good thing to hear about a guy who's a speed first player. That being said, he came back from it after the trade to the Yankees. He hit like six home runs in the playoffs. You know, he's never, I mean, he's always had the ability to hit for some level of power, but hitting six home runs in the playoffs, I do think that it's highly possible that he's figured out something with his swing. That is too big of a change with regards to power for something to not be different with the profile. Maybe, look, maybe it's one of those things where he's giving away batting average so he can hit for more power. Either way, there's more power there. And because of that, if he's slugging over 400, he's got the type of wheels where he could steal 40 bases. If plantar fasciitis really hurts him, he's still stealing 23 to, to, to 33 bases. And that's at worst. I think with the bigger bases and the rule changes with regards to throwing over to first base, if plantar isn't hurting him and he plays a full season, you're looking at over 40 stolen bases. And like I said, if the power is there, you could be looking at 15 to 20 home runs with 30 to 40 stolen bases. And... He's got some of the best center field defense of anyone in the entire sport. Then we have former Yankee, Andrew Benin, Benin, Tendi. There we go. Talking while writing. Um, <laughs> Andrew Benin, Tendi won gold glove in left field. A, a good one. Two years ago, I think it was. He's one of those old school players who it's not about driving the ball for power. It's about being successful as often as you can be. He's a batting average guy. He's a guy who gets on base. He's a guy who runs the bases well when he is on base. You know, he's not going to strike out. He's going to walk for you. And when I say he's not really focused on power, he does all of these offensive skills very, very well, despite slugging right around 400. And I think with the shift going away, the batting average is going to go even higher. He could be a guy that has a batting average around 320, an on-base percentage approaching 400, maybe 370, 380, 385, um, and a slugging percentage likely around 410, 415, maybe 420. Um, and with likely stole, uh, 20 stolen bases and elite defense in a, in a corner, um, it's, not, it's not out of the range of possibility of if he was playing on a neutral team um, meaning, you know, not the players that are on his team right now, he, he could have a chance of playing center field. He did that in the minors. On his team, he's not going to play center field. 
Robert is going to be center field of the White Sox. But Benintendi, he's a guy who's been there, done that. He's fairly young, like 26, 27 years old. There's no reason to think that there's going to be a fall off. And there is a possibility that as he matures, more power could come, which would make him good at everything as a player, literally every skill. So he's got to show up clearly. Then we have old man Pollock, A.J. Pollock. Now, Pollock was with the White Sox last year. First year he's been in the AL, so he didn't really acclimate too well. This year he's moving to Seattle. Now we're hoping two years of being in the American League, he's back to the same guy. Because even though he was not very good last year, around league average, yeah. The year before that, he was a stud. The year before that, he was a stud. The year before that, he was a stud. The year before that, he and proven talent type guy. And a guy who could play decent outfield to good outfield, depending on the year. Always a plus base runner. Walks, hits for power, not going to kill you for batting average. Um, so very underrated player in the sport. I think Seattle was very smart to get him because they do have a few other issues with the lineup that wouldn't be apparent if you're just looking at the... Uh, you know, how many RBIs and home runs they hit. Excuse me. Um, all right, so now we have Kevin Kiermeyer, who Rays fans are not going to be happy with because Kiermeyer is not a Ray anymore. He's now playing for the division rival and likely better team. Not even likely, the better team. He's playing for the Blue Jays. He's a Blue Jays center fielder. Now, he was hurt last year, so numbers were not exactly reliable. I mean, I'm not really sure the right term to use because reliability is not exactly the right word. It's They were tainted to a certain degree. The years before that, he had been getting better in one way or another each year, except in 2021, it took until the second half for him to really make that change. And in the second half of the season, if you look on his splits, last two months of the season, Kiermaier went off. So I think the Blue Jays' idea here is last year he was playing through an injury. If he's anything close to what he was before that point, you're looking at a steal here. Because Kiermaier is one of the only fielders in the game that can compete with Buxton and Bader defensively in center field. He's that good defensively, absolutely insane base runner as well. Um, but it's a different type of insane base runner. He's not going to steal 20 bases. He's going to steal some bases. He's not going to be the best at going first to third, but he's very good at going first to third. He also doesn't really make mistakes tagging up. So he doesn't have a base running weakness. It's not the type of overwhelming speed or overwhelming amounts of steals. It's subtle. Um, not going to ever hit lefties, but fantastic fit with the Blue Jays who needed more left-handedness anyway. So he has a possibility of actually hitting, which is a bit of a surprise because Kiermaier never has. Then we got Jock Peterson. Peterson only hits righties. He had a severe decline going on basically every year of his career except for last year. And last year he went off. Now, most of his career, he's played for the Dodgers. And most of his career, the Dodgers have platooned him. And Peterson's been adamant. Just let me play versus lefties. I know I can time them. I know I can hit them. 
goes off to San Francisco. They let him play versus everyone. And lo and behold, he has a career year. I mean, I don't know if it's quite a career year, but he's one of the better seasons of his career. Still a guy who's only going to hit righties, but just merely facing lefties allowed his numbers to play way up. Whereas just coming in and facing righties, it wasn't consistent enough playing for him. Or at least it seems that way. Facing lefties has unlocked another ability versus righties. Um, so we have him. I think I just mentioned Varsho. I don't know how many people know Varsho, you know. Uh, but since I mentioned him, let's just do him here. We have, you know, Kiermaier, we have Springer, we have Varsho. That's the whole Blue Jays outfield. The Blue Jays traded Gabriel Moreno, one of the best catching prospects in the game, and Loretus Guriel, who he hit like what 290 last year, and that was a down year, you know, 400 slugging. They traded both of those guys to the Diamondbacks to get Varsho. So the Blue Jays analytics must really like Varsho. Now, I liked Varsho, saw him in the Arizona Fall League. He really impressed me. Um, I saw him as a guy who had the athleticism to, st- to stay at catcher, but I don't think that a team has the patience for him to stay. I, I think it actually might be the best spot if a team had the patience for him. Uh, however, the fact that he went to the outfield and put up some of the best defensive statistics of any outfielder in MLB, although it's worth mentioning, uh, so did his you know, fellow center fielder, Alec Thomas, another Diamondback. So I don't know whether it's a, it's a ballpark thing or not, but the Diamondbacks outfielders were insane last year, uh, specifically those two. But Varsho being that good defensively, um, it makes it so that he really doesn't need to hit too much to have insane amounts of value. And he is a lefty hitter, and he is going to walk. He needs to continue to find ways to hit for power. His expected statistics were consistently worrying last year. Now, he is a polish-based player, so there may be a bit of a transition here. But the fact that he is handedness... The fact that he's got that defense, the fact that he's got you know a certain degree of speed, um, I think that there is uh, – offensively, there's an everyday role just off the offense. And that's just all you need because the defense, he's got some of the best defense in the majors. Um, I don't know how it's going to age with him moving to a corner. He might end up working on putting more, more muscle on and becoming more of a hitter in a corner, which – would make his profile a lot more well-rounded. But I got to say, I like guys who can play in center field and do a little bit of everything from the left side of the plate. So um, there's a part of me that just kind of wishes he stayed there. Um, but, you know, maybe the hitting comes around. So Varsho shows up on the list um, at minimum because the worst thing that could happen to him is a great defender who gets on base and is left-handed, runs the base as well. Um, so even in the worst case, he's still going to show up. Um, now this is this is an interesting one, okay? This is a guy who still hasn't signed, and he hasn't had a full healthy season in a couple of seasons. Uh, part of the reason was they tried to platoon him, and some players came in and it kind of messed with his playing time. Um, this is a guy who, at this point in time, it's clear he's not a good shortstop. He could move to second, but you worry about the offense there. He can move to third base, but he doesn't have the offense for third base. However, if you put this guy's skill set in center field, you wouldn't really need too much offense from him. And I've been a guy who I know he doesn't hit the ball hard. I'll just put his name so we can really get into it. Didi. I'm just going to put 
his first name here. Didi Gregorius. Always had a cannon of a throwing arm. Can't really play shortstop anymore. He has the stride length and the foot speed to clearly be able to cover lots of ground and center. And with that throwing arm, he'd have one of the best throwing arms of any outfielder. Imagine Didi's throwing arm with a running start. You know? I think when you take a shortstop and you put them in center field, they convert very well. But I think they convert much better when you have the body type and the skill set for the spot. Um, I think you'd immediately have him go from, you know, oh, okay, he can play shortstop to he's one of the best defensive center fielders in the sport, literally overnight. He's got the entire skill set for it. Um, and it would make it so that the offense didn't need to go crazy because it's hard to find guys who can play center and who can hit. So with a guy like him, not only would he get consistent at bats, but that's what he needs. Didi's skill set, at least this is what his skill set roots from, the ability to swing all the time and make contact with everything. So if you're just, okay, I'm going to swing and I make contact each time, each time, that is a skill in its own. The other side of Didi's skill set was everything when he was real, last time he was healthy. And for years before that, Everything coming off of his bat was coming off the, the bat at the perfect angle. So even though he wasn't really hitting the ball too hard, he was swinging a lot, making contact on a lot of those swings. So when he swung, making contact, but not just contact, optimal contact. So he would max out he had like 20 home runs a season just because he would make so much contact and so much of it would be optimal. Now, here's the thing. As he ages... He's got the body to put on muscle. I think he's trying to be fast. He's trying to be quick, which is what's keeping him at his current offensive level, in my opinion, at shortstop. If you move him to the outfield and you let him just focus on getting bigger and stronger so he can hit the ball harder, it's not like he has trouble making contact on the swings. It's not like he has trouble having the ball come off the bat at the right angle. And worst case, you platoon him. He's a lefty. So you can still get plus-plus offense out of that spot with his defense in a platoon, which is already what people do all the time in center field. So I think nobody's really talking about Didi the right way. I think everybody's scared away because of expected statistics. And I understand it. Expected statistics have been proven to be highly reliable. Um, so Didi. Didi shows up on here. Um, another guy that I think a lot of people don't talk about as much, he's now a Dodger. David Peralta. David Peralta is an elite defensive left fielder. He doesn't really have a history of getting hurt too much. Uh, not going to kill you for batting average. Aggressive profile, so the numbers play up. So even though you know he's 10%, 15% above league average per WRC+, because he's aggressive, it plays closer to 20 25% above league average. Not a good base runner, but not a bad base runner. So... Completely fine to have on your team. He's not going to sink you. He's going to exist, which I think is an important thing. There's plenty of teams that have fantastic base running, base running, where they only have a couple of guys who are really good base runners because everyone else is average. Um, so again, David Peralta fits as far as base running goes because he's not going to kill you there. Elite defense in left field, left-handed hitter, will slug over 400 guaranteed. So there's no particular skill that he does bad. There's a lot of skills that he does fairly average and a few that make things play up. 
Um, he's an aggressive hitter, which makes what he does play up. You know, he's going to be doing it against pitchers' pitches. That's the benefit of having aggressive hitters. Um, his batting average is exceptionally ordinary, but like I said, it plays up, so it becomes slightly above average. Slugging, same deal, so it becomes slightly above average. The defense is good. The health is there. The handedness, left-handed, complements the rest of most lineups, especially in an era without the shift. And if you're looking at his expected statistics, there isn't really any sort of chartable decline. And actually, as far as his expected slugging percentage goes, last year he might have slugged more than at almost any single year in his entire career. So despite being in his 30s, there's not really a clear fall off coming in the next couple of years, at least. Next two years, I'd say. Maybe after that, given his age. But he should be a reliable producer, especially in the, you know, better lineup than he got last year. Last year, he got half a lineup with the Diamondbacks. This year, he's an everyday player for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I think he's going to get a lot more eyes on him. I, I think he's fairly underrated around the league in general. Um, Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo. I've never been a fan of Nimmo. I'm not going to. I'm still not really a fan of Nimmo, but you got to give credit where credit's due to what a player has done well. He's always been a guy who walks. That is always something I've given him credit for. A new thing I have to give him credit for, he's turned himself into a very good center field defender. That's where I have to tip my cap. I don't believe that the power numbers are real. Just don't believe it at all. I think that he's perfect in a platoon. I think given the fact that, you know, he can really play center now, I think that that's a perfect fit in center defensively. He is going to get on base. Like I said, I, he's not the base runner that a lot of people think he is. Um, the real reason that I'm keeping him on here, at least for now, is he shows up in big games. So there's that. He gets on base a ton from the walks, but he's a pull hitter. And he's a pull hitter. With already the, all that on-base percentage, he already has that on-base percentage, he's about to have a lot more as a left-handed hitter who's a pull guy, puts that much contact on the ball, and he really runs out everything. 100% effort with that type of thing. So I'm expecting specifically this year his usual not-going-to-kill-you batting average, but a well, 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 well above average on-base percentage that will make up for the drop in his slugging. When you add in the fact that he's a left-handed hitter, platoonable, and a plus-plus defender in center field, even if I don't like the type of hitter that you're going to be, even if, you know, most of your offensive profile this year is, you know, the shift going away and walks, um, and I don't think you're going to be very good, you know, two years from now, um, if you're going to put up that type of value this season, you have to show up. You have to show up. Even if I'm not that much of a fan of you, if you're going to do that, you got to show up. Uh, similarly, his former teammate, Michael Conforto, probably the best hitter on the San Francisco Giants, at least just off the top of my head, um, didn't play in the big leagues uh, last year. Um, he's been hurt, but the last time that he played, you were looking at a guy who was a 25 homer bat. You were looking at a guy who walked a lot. You were looking at a guy who was like a good 25 to 35% above league average per WRC+. He had a good throwing arm. 
His defensive metrics fluctuated, but I think that that was because he was trying to do more than he should have been trying to do. I mean, he's a right fielder. You just let him do right fielder things. You put, you know, the, the, the range in center and the range in left where it should be. I think he fits very well defensively, offensively for power, getting on base. And I don't really see him getting hurt that much moving forward. So Conforto. Then we have Max Kepler. Kepler, another guy who I can't say I've really been a fan of most of his career. But another guy I got to give credit to because he's turned himself into a very good defender. It's a different type of way that he's turned himself into a defender from Nimmo. Nimmo is not really an arm guy. Uh, Kepler's just as much of an arm guy as he is a range guy. Although he's not really going to be playing in center field because of Buxton. Always walks. Has certain degrees of power. 15 to 20 home run power. However, his expected statistics for at least the last four years have been much higher than his actual statistics. So sometimes it's because of, you know, the ball change or, you know, maybe it's because of a shortened season or a year with bad luck or different things happen. And expected statistics, like I said earlier, they've proven to be very reliable. Now, Kepler's a heavy pull hitter. Shift going away for him. I think that that could that could allow those expected statistics to play at least for one year, at least for one year. And if they do, you're talking about power on base percentage, good base running, plus plus defense that could play center field um, and health. He never gets hurt. That's another thing about him. So. As a guy who is a former top prospect, I cannot say I know this for a fact but typically when you have a guy who's a very top prospect and they haven't exactly hit their peak they can stretch in big moments um it's part of the whole clutch theory one of many little layers that create a player that can be clutch um but i think that uh i think kepler does have that as a possibility even though he's a mistake hitter even though he's a mistake hitter um but it's just because of the profile. It's not because I have any sort of evidence outside of that. Because mistake hitters typically, unless they slowly grow into it, aren't exactly good at that type of thing. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill. There we go. Tyler O'Neill has just been announced as the center fielder, the opening day center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, which I think is a brilliant idea because Carlson still needs to do some growing. I love his throwing arm out there. O'Neill doesn't exactly do anything wrong defensively. And I don't mean that like, you know, oh, he doesn't make errors. No, I mean, O'Neill's father was like a bodybuilder. Okay, and he is, for all intents and purposes, like as close to a bodybuilder as a baseball player can be. He's not a center fielder because he's got, you know, natural, you know, coordinated athleticism and whatnot. He's a center fielder because he's so damn strong that he can cover all sorts of ground and he can throw just from muscle. That's why he's playing center. He's just that strong. Um. Now, his offense went down last year with the strikeouts. So you wonder, you know, to get to that level of offense, is he just going to have to strike out? Which, I mean, I'm perfectly okay with, especially because, you know, offense in center field is what it is. Um, but if he can somehow get to the levels of power without striking out that he hit for in the past, you know, we could really be talking about like a top 25 player. But 
as things currently stand, he's closer to a top 65 player, at least for the show, at least for the show. If you add in the minors, then maybe he's closer to around 100, 115. Um, so that's O'Neill. Um, then we have, this is a player who I'm sure, you know, Yankee fans tend to be fairly loud. <laughs> so if there's a guy that the Yankee fans love, you'll probably hear their name. Uh, and this is Oswaldo Cabrera. Cabrera. Now, Oswaldo Cabrera, yeah, I have him as an outfielder. Mainly have him as an outfielder because if you have him hidden, you know, you have two guys who can really run, left fielder, center fielder. He can cover the type of ground that you would need a guy to, to cover to make the finer plays. If he's focused on covering range, that's not who he's going to be. He's a former infielder. So he's the type of guy where if you have to have him rob homers or if you have to have him track a ball down into the corner where there's that the, the two walls right there, right? He can really handle that type of stuff. He's also the type of guy with the infield arms and the infield hands. You know, when he's in the outfield, he's got you know, he can do the whole, you know, crow hop thing out there where in the infield, you just gotta you gotta get it, you gotta get it and release it. You gotta get it and release it. So his arm plays up in right field as well. And as a former infielder, he is insanely accurate. So if you put him in a corner and he doesn't have to do his whole range thing, I think that there's finer things that he can do that a lot of corner outfielders can't. Um, the other side of it is he can play second. The other side of it is he can play short. He can play third. At third, he doesn't have the offense. At short, he doesn't have the arm. Although he has the release for it, he can probably play there a couple of games every few weeks. Um, at second base, he fits. But you wouldn't be looking at a guy who could legitimately be a difference maker defensively in any sort of way if he was at second. He could be a good second baseman. I don't see a guy who could be a stud defender in terms of saving runs at second base. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I do see if you could take away his need to cover ground that he could do a lot of finer things in the outfield, throwing guys out, robbing home runs, et cetera. Uh, especially with the fact that we now have the netting over there, which means if he wants that extra range with his athleticism, I know as a shortstop, I've, I, I can do these things. Um, and like, like I can even play short anymore, but I can do these things. You run, you jump, you catch the ball and you let the netting catch you. Um, you have to land on it a certain way in order to do that. But, so former shortstop, you're taught to land in all sorts of ways. So I do think there's finer things that Cabrera could do. I do think that he's outfielder super utility. That has to be a part of his skill set. It's part of his value. He'll he'll steal a good 12 bases for you a year, which is decent. Um, he also has the swing mechanics thing going for him that Didi did, where everything that he really barrels is in the air. Um, he's definitely more patient than Didi. He's going to walk. Um, but I do think that that allows him to take advantage, the, the maximum advantage of what power he has. Um, and as a switch hitter, mainly batting lefty with the shift gone, Cabrera's a guy who's got a lot of confidence. I wonder with all these different factors, as well as lineup protection and Yankee Stadium, if it could allow him to get to another level of performance. For the Yankees, his best spot is a super utility. For a random team, his best spot is either second base or right field. Um, so now we got some interesting ones that y'all are about to hear a lot more about Corbin Carroll. 
the minor leaguers occasionally get quizzed on certain things by likely the baseball writers, uh, you know, the, the sports illustrated and whatnot. I don't know who officially does the going around to each, you know, minor league team and asking these questions, but you'll see an article written about it on like fan graphs. Carol universally, like across the board was one of only two names that were named by basically like every minor leaguer as the fastest player that they have ever seen. The other of the two players is a pinch runner in the Red Sox system, a pinch runner. Corbin Carroll, he can hit, he can actually hit and he can run like that. You know, people have been asking me, okay, you know, what do you think he's like? What's your comp for him? My comp for him, Jacoby Ellsbury at the plate. He's a guy who could hit 20 homers. He's a guy who could steal 40 bases. He's a guy who's not going to kill you for batting average, maybe around 290 batting average. He's going to walk, so his on-base percentage is going to be very nice. And he's going to play a good center field. And, you know, he's going to move to left field in difference to Thomas with Thomas's defense. If Ellsbury had played left field, it's a much, much more natural fit for Ellsbury because of his throwing arm. Now, Carroll doesn't exactly have those throwing arm concerns that Ellsbury did. And Ellsbury's peak was so high that it's hard to say that Corbin will hit that peak. But if you cancel out the weaknesses, offensively, they're the same. So given the fact that they're outfielders, center field would be you know better in left. Um, Although I don't know if Corbin would be better in left, to be fair. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, him and Thomas. But he is a, literally a guy who could give you, yeah, sure, every category. But every category with some of the best base running in all of baseball. Like 45 stolen bases every single year with hitting. Don't see that very often. And if it happens, he's top 10 in the sport. Top 10. That's really big. It's a really big deal. Like Soto's top 10. Judge's top 10. If he hits, if every if if the peak happens, that's where he could be. If the peak doesn't happen, he's still likely going to be a top 30 player. That's the type of talent he has. Um, this guy's a fun one. Oscar Colas. Oscar Colas, former stud of Cuba. He came over, you know. The choice of the White Sox was to play him in the minors and not just bring him straight to the majors, which initially I can't say I was a fan of. But after how Colas has hit, he's he's the starting opening day right fielder for the White Sox. He's a left-handed hitter. He's got significant power. I think the worst thing that he turns into is Eric Dames. Um, but I think the best thing that he could turn into probably still going to be a guy that has to platoon, but he could hit 30 home runs if everything pans out. Even if things don't pan out, you're still likely looking at 20. And if it's not 20, it'd be like 15 with 45 doubles. So he's got real power. It's also worth mentioning that at one point, he was con he was considered to be, and I quote, the Cuban Otani because he both pitched and hit. Now that was years ago. And I can't say that the arm has completely held up in corner outfield, although it's certainly a plus arm. And given the fact that he was formerly a pitcher, uh, being in the big leagues, staying at the same level multiple years, it is possible that the arm strength ends up coming back. Um, but even as is, 
you're still looking at, at a guy who, like, like, worst case, okay, you put him in a platoon. In a platoon, the worst worst case type of hitter he could be, he'd still bat six for you on a playoff team. So you're still talking about a guy who's at least part of the middle of the order in some capacity, even if he doesn't pan out. You have to put him in a platoon, sure, platoon him. But that's the worst. That's the worst that's going to happen in a situation like that. Um, let's see. Let's do a fun one. Uh, Marsh. Yeah, Marsh. Phillies Marsh. Now, Brandon Marsh was an outfielder in the Angels system. The Angels at the time had so many outfielders, and then all of a sudden Taylor Ward started hitting out of the blue. Um, it kind of became a situation where the Angels knew that they needed to have a catcher moving forward. And the Phillies knew that they needed defense, and they needed left-handedness, and they needed some youth. You know, they already had Stott left-handed. They already had Bohm right-handed, but youth. They wanted to get someone else in that mix. That was Marsh. Marsh was definitely rushed to the big leagues. There's no doubt about that. And his numbers last year weren't the greatest, but he is a great center field defender. I won't say, maybe not great, but a very good center field defender. He could have some great years. He's got the body type of a Jason Worth, so he could clearly put on muscle. The big indicator for me was this. The last four or five months of the season, last year's season, Brandon Marsh got better little by little each of those months. And if you're seeing that from a guy who's only in like second year in his entire career at the big leagues, that's a really promising sign. Then we got to see him in the playoffs, and he looked like a completely different hitter than the hitter we saw before the year. The hitter who saw before the year, there was a little bit of a disconnect between the lower body and the upper body and how to use the ground in his swing. The player I saw in the playoffs was a player who's using his whole body, very grounded in his legs. If that's who he is, you're looking at a top 50 player in the sport this year. You're looking at a guy who's going to hit 20 home runs, not going to kill you for batting average. And I think that that is more than the Phillies fans could want. I think he's going to be... I think he's actually going to pan out as far as prospects, outfield prospects go. He's along the trajectory that you would need for a center fielder to pan out, at least to a reasonable point. I can't say he's going to be a superstar. It's possible, but at minimum, it looks like he's going to pan out as an everyday center fielder, and that's not nothing. Now, on a playoff team, maybe you bat him first, maybe you bat him eighth, but you don't put him in the middle. Um, okay, we got – oh. That's another one. Riley Green. Why did I not mention him? Riley Green, when he was first taken in the draft, he was taken fairly high up. He was very much seen as a guy who, corner outfielder, lefty power bat, you know, has the body for it. And that was about it. In the minors, he's turned himself, instead of just, oh, lefty corner power bat, into middle-of-the-order power bat, shouldn't have issues versus lefties or righties, and he's turned himself into a plus-plus defensive center fielder. So instead of just being another corner outfielder who's in the middle of the order, he's a middle-of-the-order left-handed center fielder who's not going to kill you in any sort of way versus lefties, righties, batting average power. Given his work ethic, his body, his skill set, 
I, I, I think that he could keep getting better. I think at the big leagues, he could keep getting better. He could be a guy that eventually, in his best years, I can't say when that's going to happen, three, four years now, from now, uh, he, he could have years that were top 10 in the sport. He could have some years where he was a top 10 player, position-wise, in the sport. I can't say he'd consistently be that, but I can say consistently he's going to at least be a five-hole hitter. And like I said, in the big years, he'll be a true three-hole hitter, about as good as it gets. Um, maybe some middle years of a four-hole hitter, but that's his range. His range is three, four, five. As a left-handed center fielder, that's big. Um, and, and look, the Tigers are going to need it. The Tigers are really going to need it. Right now, the best left-handed bat that they have outside of him is Austin Meadows. and He's on the honorable mentions list. So when we get to the honorable mentions list, we'll talk about him, but that's it. That's all they got is a left-handed bat to compliment Baez and, and Torkelson. I don't think that they'd... Uh, finish nearly as high as I think that the Tigers are going to finish if they didn't have green. And I still don't think the Tigers are going to finish too high, but I do think that him being a divider in there between Baez and, 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 and Torkelson, I think that that's going to carry them higher, significantly higher than a lot of projections have them. Still not looking at a, t- a playoff team or anything close to it. So don't think I'm going too crazy here. Um, okay. Another player that's fun. Now, this is this is non-big leaguer, non-big leaguer, okay? This is a player that I just, I watched him a good week ago, and I've been kind of just obsessed with him as a future big league talent. This is a guy, and mind you, I've done this so that this list can last as long as possible into the year, meaning there are guys on this list who are going to be drafted this summer. I've gone over a few of them, especially on the shortstop side of the list. This is a guy who's going to get drafted this summer, probably within the top three picks. His name is Max Clark. I cannot say his swing is, you know, optimized for power. However, it's a swing that works. It's clearly a swing that works. He's got fantastic contact skills, left-handed. The big one that I like the most about him his base running and his center field defense look like they're going to be top of the scale. And if you can hit at all while being top of the scale at running, top of the scale at contact, and top of the scale um, in center field, that's a five-tool talent. And he's still in high school, so you're looking at a guy who's still going to fill out. And he's got the type of body where if he does fill out and that power really does come, he's one of those guys that could be in his best years a top top 10 player. At worst, top 50 player consistently. Um, But there's an argument to be made that off the top of my head, he's the most impressive player in the draft. I just, I really believe if you have contact skill, you can drive the ball like that. You can run like that. You can play an up the middle position and you can fill out because that body, no matter what happens, will fill out. Um, That means power is going to come. Even if it's at the trade-off of some speed, you're still looking at likely a five-tool talent. Uh, another player that's fun, guy in the Rockies system. Can jump around a little bit. Montero. Ellie Harris Montero. He, um, this was a guy at one point in time had one of the highest swing rates of anyone in the entire minor leagues. And it was so much that like people were kind of worried. 
you know, his at-bats would be about three pitches long. That's nothing. And yet, he was still hitting for power with an aggressive profile without a tremendous number of strikeouts. And he went up to the next level, and it was almost as if he was like, oh, you have an issue with me, you know, swinging at, at you know, everything? Okay, walk rate went up, power and everything stayed the same. Um, came up to the big leagues, did pretty good. He's going to be played all season this year. When you have a guy who swings the bat that often, who clearly does know the strike zone, makes contact that much, and can drive the ball, it is going to be very, very hard to get him out as a pitcher. You're not going to know where to go. He swings at everything, still hits it. And I think in his case, he's in the perfect ballpark for it. He's a Colorado Rocky. He's going to be moved out of third base, likely, to play a corner outfield spot. Um, I think it's the perfect place for him. He's going to be able to focus on the bat. It's where he developed. You know, he came from their system. But I think that the ballpark is really, really going to help his balls in play. Um, I think he's a perfect fit for that ballpark. And I think that you could be looking at a guy who hits well above 300 just because he plays in Coors Field. And I think that you could get to 30 home runs just because of Coors Field. If he was anywhere else, he'd probably hit about 280 with maybe 25 home runs. But he could he could go significantly higher than that in Coors with his current abilities, his profile, if you will. Um, now, this is an interesting one. This is a guy who I cannot tell you very many people know about him, but he was a guy who was notable in the draft. He was a guy who's hung around the, the, the minor leagues for a few years. Nobody ever wrote him off. It wasn't like, oh, he swings and misses too much, or he's such a bad defender. No, he didn't strike out. He wasn't a bad defender, but he wasn't a good defender. The scouting report said, oh, you know, he's not a good base runner, so he comes in the next year and he can run the bases. This is a guy who's just kind of hung around, steady Eddie, uh, doesn't strike out, good swing mechanics. He increased the base running last year, and he increased the power hitting last year. And as a left-handed hitter who doesn't really have any blemishes, I can't say the ceiling is going to be insanely high for him. But the floor is of a big league outfielder, at minimum in a platoon. And I'm talking about Cal Mitchell of the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, Mitchell absolutely went off in AAA last year. Batting average, power, the works. And he did this while adding that speed that I talked about. As a left-handed hitter, I know he's not, like I said, he's not going to be a center fielder. He's not going to be a superstar. But with his current skill set, he's the type of guy, and the Cardinals bring these guys along all the time, where for one year, the polish of the player allows the, the, the numbers to play at a superstar level. I think we could see that from Mitchell. And then he'd go back to being about 10% above league average, which is a nice little player. But I do think you could have one star year out of him, given that he's big league ready right now. It's not like the Pirates have a whole bunch of people that are going to stop a hitter from hitting in their lineup. They'll, they'll find a role for it. They need to. Um, so I do think that he's a guy who's kind of a wild card going to come out the blue, surprise a lot of people. Uh, this is a guy, funny enough, who I saw about a week ago, Adalis Garcia. 
he has been playing more right field than center field in difference to Bubba Thompson. I don't think that Bubba Thompson is going to hit enough to be a consistent member of the Rangers this year. And I think that Duran is going to need to be given a role at the big leagues. I think Smith is going to need to be given a role at the big leagues. And they have Semyon over at second. And at third base, Josh Young is going to be there. So Josh Smith being in left field makes sense because of his specific ability of being a former shortstop. The range will be more important in left. And then as far as the throwing arm goes, Duran moving from third to right field. He has the throwing arm for third. He's going to have the throwing arm for right field. Thompson's not going to hit, which means Adalas Garcia is likely going to take over center field for the Texas Rangers again, just like last year, where he was one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. He can run the bases pretty good. He's an aggressive hitter, so things play up. And he does hit for out-of-play power. There is a decent amount of risk with his profile. That being said, as a player who came over from Cuba and clearly has that Cuban skill set and who did get better from his first year to his second year, if he takes that next step this year, even if it takes him into the second half and having gotten my eyes on him firsthand, it it looks like it's going to have to be in the second half. He's still got a few different things that he's got to tweak with regards to his his swing mechanics. Um, But again, that's kind of what happens for guys who have been there, done that. You know, they straighten out their swing for the first 250 at-bats, then they go ham on the league. Basically, any veteran that you can think of off the top of your head does this. Um, And having Adalas having done it two years in a row as a good base runner, plus-plus defensive center fielder, likely moving back to center. And his arm in center might play up, given the fact that he will have been mainly using the arm in right field. So he might even be a better defender when he moves back to center. Um, You don't find that type of electricity in a center fielder. Now, on a championship team, you could bat him first or you could bat him ninth. But that's not a detractor the way it is with someone else you'd bat first or ninth. He's a spark plug. The thing is you'd either use him to spark things at the beginning of the lineup or you'd use him to turn over the lineup and spark the top. That's why he would be a perfect nine-hole hitter, because it makes the full lineup dangerous. Every spot complements the next. Um, but, you know, if you already have a different guy in your nine-hole, he's your leadoff. And, you know, with the with level of power that he has, maybe seven-hole and the middle of the order, like the last middle of the order hitter. But that's the type of guy that he has. Clearly, you need other talent if you're going to win a World Series. But he is a World Series member type guy, where one of the nine guys could be him. And he would produce exactly like you needed him to. So uh, that's that's Adalas Garcia. Hmm. Let's go with Loretis Guriel Jr. Now, Guriel, his older brother, was a prime member of the Cheating Astros. And I was wondering this whole time. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> every time every time um but Loretis Guriel Jr um he was never going to be the type of talent that his older brother was which is kind of sad because you know that it's usually the younger brother's better than the older brother however Guriel could still have his best years coming he did hit 290 something I think maybe 291 last year he did slug over 400 and that was the worst of the last three seasons That was his worst year. He's leaving the American League, which is going to be interesting. 
he's going to be joining the Diamondbacks lineup. I will get the chance to see him firsthand, so I'll be able to give a much better idea of his trajectory uh, mid-year as we make content. Um, but if you can hit four, uh, 400 slugging and, and a 290 batting average and are a healthy player, hits 25 home runs a year, it's like I don't, I don't see... I don't see an issue with him. I don't see any problems with the profile. I mean, maybe he's a bad base runner or an okay base runner. Maybe he's not the best outfielder, but, you know, if you hit him in right field, he does have a good throwing arm, so he'd be adequate in right field for you. Um, I see it being a situation where the floor is of a good player and the ceiling is of a very good player. I see him as a high-probability contributor in all the ways you need someone to contribute. Um, that, that doesn't mean he's going to be one of the better players in the sport or anything. He's probably in the top 65 players in the sport. But if you have a guy who's not going to hurt you for average or power or approach, stay healthy, not going to kill you on the bases, that's a fine player. That's a fine player, especially given that there is some upside here. Heston Kierstad. Yeah, that's his name. Heston Kierstad. Let me see if I can put him right over here. Spelled K-J-E-R-S-T-A-D. Um, this was a guy who was taken in the first three picks in the, in the draft by the Orioles. People were like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And we found out later they picked him that high so that they could save money for later on in the draft and pick someone of higher talent higher or further back than they would have been picked for more money. So Kirstad was more of a strategy pick than like a top five pick. That being said, he was still considered to be a first round talent and, you know, he got hurt and there were some different things that kept him off the field. And there were some concerns about his ability and whether the power that he hits for is going to play. Well, I can tell you this, in spring training, and in the Arizona Fall League, he went off. He won Arizona Fall League MVP, if my memory serves me right. He was taken in the first round of the draft. This is a guy who, despite all the, the, the trepidation, if you will, you're still looking at 30 homers here, 25 to 30 homers here, with a 260, 280 batting average. And, you know, defensively, you know, maybe you have to hide him out there, but he's not going to get hurt, and he is a lefty. Um, there is a chance that he actually ends up hitting for average, but we'll have to see. The jury's out on that one. He might end up being, like I said, 260, 280, but given how much he hits, it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to be more than that. And I think that he's going to be a crucial piece of what the Orioles are trying to do moving forward with their lineup. I think he's right there with Henderson and Rutschman as far as uh, how crucial he is. Right there as well with... Uh, Mount Castle. I think that right there, that's a core. That's a core right there. Um, so then we have Kevin Alcantara. Put his name right here, I guess. Alcantara. This guy's a former Yankee. Yankees traded him. He's with the Cubs now. He's six foot seven. And he can play center field. He's got serious, serious power, legitimate power, a beautiful swing. You don't see swings like that, typically speaking, with guys who are that tall. The fact that he can still play center field legitimately, if 
things keep rolling in the right direction, as they say, as, as uh, Eric Longenhagen says on, on fan graphs, he may enter the Goldilocks zone where he doesn't get too big, but, you know, he fills out where he doesn't strike out too much, but the walks come in because, you know, and you know, basically where, where the body fills out into every single way that you need the body to fill out in. He has the mechanics for it. If things end up going the right way for him. Again, the, the, it, it's more about the ceiling here. First off, there's no real reasons to think that he's not going to pan out in some capacity. But the ceiling is of a plus defensive center fielder, not one that's going to win gold gloves, but the guy who could play out there, who could hit 40 home runs a season with at least a 280 batting average. That's what we're talking about, a center fielder who can do that. He's got a beautiful swing for somebody who's six foot seven. Usually you don't see that type of coordination there. Um, however, with this next guy, Brennan Davis, Alcantara is likely going to be relegated to right field. Davis is a fantastic defensive center fielder who his hitting mechanics, his stance, it hasn't, he's gotten better every single year. He's one of those guys where mental makeup, he's a hard worker. He's, 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 he's a really good dude. There, there's not a lot of other ways around it. I, I read a report that, um, in the off season, he takes care of like the family emu or the family alpaca or the family, you know, um, what's the other one? Emus, alpacas, and the llama. Yep, that's the one. He he he, he takes care of his family's llamas in, in the off season, or maybe it's alpaca. It's one of those. It's one of those those creatures that chews with their mouth sideways. You know, that that stuff. Uh, it's one of those creatures. Exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's Davis. Davis is such a good athlete that there's a high probability that he ends up being a plus plus center fielder um, for the Cubs in the future. Now, my worry there is that they've moved him a little bit too fast, but they might be doing that just because he's getting that much better, that much faster. Um, so even though the numbers show that he may have been moved too much, like a little too fast. It could be that they've moved him as soon as he's gotten to that next level because he just keeps getting better, um, which is also kind of interesting because it's like, okay, well, that's Davis, but, you know, what about Alcantara, you know? Have scouts, when they saw him, you know, has it been when they saw him, every time that they saw him, he got better? Funny, funny thing is, is, yeah, that's also the case with Alcantara. Both of those guys, it seems like, at least in Davis's, but it, I know it in terms of Alcantara, Every time someone saw them, at least, you know, for a period of time in the past, it seemed like they had gotten that much better. And that was part of the, the appeal with as well as Alcantara. But the difference is, is Alcantara could play set center field at six foot seven, whereas Davis can play an elite defensive center field. And that's why you'd probably move Alcantara to right field, let him concentrate on the bat. Um it's going to be an interesting year for Alcantara because Alcantara is likely going to play his first year at the higher levels, double A. Davis is likely going to start the year in triple A. He did very good in double A the last time around. And I do think that they're going to try and keep Alcantara in center field as long as possible, which is why I think Davis is going to start in triple A. Um, but by like August, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Davis to get a bit of a cup of coffee. It's just worth mentioning that 
Cubs are not going to be in it this year. So they might just want to give Davis the full time in the minors and have him come up next year. Um, so that's Brennan Davis. Colin Barber. Let's go with Colin Barber. Actually, we're going to go with two Houston Cheatstros. Um, yeah, two, I, I, okay, I was I made a little too much. <laughs> I hate them, okay? I hate them. Two of them. Two of them that are going to be coming up this year. And in all likelihood, they are going to replace uh, Chaz McCormick for, for, the, uh, for the Astros. McCormick is a great defender. But he's a polished first player, and he's a righty hitter. I think that he's going to be a fantastic fourth outfielder, maybe fifth, depending on what's going on with these guys. First, we're going to go with Colin Barber. Now, Barber really didn't play too much in the minors because the shortened season in 2020. However, first year that he was like playing a full year in the minors, he moved straight through the minors. He moved to high A, double A type stuff midway through the minors basically now i don't think he's ready for like a full year at triple a i do think that this year he should spend the whole year in double a that being said this guy has a he's a really really unique swing it's fundamentally sound from the left side of the plate and usually when you see a swing that's fundamentally sound and a swing that's a vicious it's beautiful and coordinated and all of that. I can't say his swing is beautiful, but I can say it's vicious and he barrels things up constantly. So Barber has the ability in theory to be either a plus, not great, but plus center fielder in the future with the ability to hit for average with some power or move to a corner and maybe some of the average that he's hitting for with a swing like his, it, it, he is one of those guys where it's like, oh, well, could he make a swing change? I think it's likely he makes a swing change. Um, and not because he has to, but because I think it's going to serve him better versus velocity. I think it's going to be a natural thing. Um, and if that's the case, we're looking at 20 homers. We'd be looking at 20 homers, 265 batting average, 15 to 20 steals. It's a very nice player. It's a very nice player, especially as a lefty. And, you know, Houston makes the max out of their players, so he's got an even higher probability of hitting that. Also, Mr. Durden, not Tyler Durden. Justin Durden. He did great in the minors last year, but he was never really seen to be as a guy who, clear, you know, everyday player. However, he came into camp, Astros Spring Training Camp, and went off went nuclear so now what people are thinking is he made him he, he made some adjustments during the offseason and if barber isn't ready barber has to play the full season in double a or triple a durden will be at some point so whether it's barber or durden or they find some sort of platoon of them it looks like the astros are going to find a way to upgrade in center field as well Right now, they have the highest probability of winning the World Series, if only by a little. Um, again, we try not to be biased here. You know, I, I hate the Astros, but if they have the highest probability, I'm not going to misreport that to you guys. I mean, they just won the World Series. So, like, you'd think that it would be like, oh, well, you know, well, they won theirs. No, it, it, I know that no team has won two in a row since 99-2000 Yankees. 
But right now, they're on track. I, I don't care if I hate them. That's just objective truth. We're um, a honest yeah. podcast. Honest. We, we may hate certain people, but we're an honest podcast. Yeah. We, we, look, look we, we, we try to be honest. And honestly, Carlos Correa is a problem. So, <laughs> no, we, we, we try to be as, as, as clear as we can with these lists. So, um, oh, man, I, I, I could talk about Correa all day. Um, uh, who was I going to go through next? Uh, Durden. Oh, yeah. The other thing about Durden. Durden's a polished first player. So I don't think that Durden's going to have um, too many years. I don't think he's going to have very much length in his career, but he is the type of guy who could come in and immediately be good. So that's something to remember about him. But another guy I wanted to go over similar to Alcantara. Actually, we're going to go over these two guys. They're both similar in certain ways, similar to Alcantara and judge and all of them. Both of these guys are six foot seven left-handed hitter power, 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 power bats. The first one is James Wood. Perfect baseball name. First, he has my name, so you know he's awesome. <laughs> Secondly, his, his last name is Wood, like a baseball bat. He was meant to be a hitter. Six foot seven center fielder. Um, he has a high center of gravity, which is going to be interesting to see how that plays. Because bigger guys who don't have that quite high set, you know, high center of gravity, they tend to do well. But whenever I think of a guy who's bigger, who's got a higher sense, uh, uh, we're talking about Jason Hayward. We're talking about Dominic Brown. Guys who have a higher center of gravity, the long legs, it seems to work against them rather than for them. And there are some signs showing that James Wood's performance last year wasn't entirely legit. However, if James Woods, if James Wood, not James Woods, that's the actor, if James Wood uh, ends up actually panning out, he could he could hit 40 homers. You know, he could, Teoscar Hernandez like profile. Um, I could see that because Teoscar Hernandez is what it looks like if a higher center of gravity does end up working for you. Um, and it's not like Jason Hayward wasn't able to get that higher center, center of gravity to work for him for a time. But James Wood is a guy who he's got the size. He's got the ability to fill out. It's just a little bit of a worry with, you know, the legs are a little too long, which is odd to say. That's why I say high center of gravity. Um, Another guy, six foot seven as well, Spencer Jones. Now, Spencer Jones was committed to Vanderbilt, which is one of the best baseball programs in the entire country. He decided against that to sign with the Yankees, which shows how smart the Yankees are. It shows how smart he is. He was a guy who, in all of the... Uh, exhibitions or uh, what do they call it? The um, In football, they call it the combine. But uh, in all of those type environments, Spencer Jones had some of the highest exit velocities. He had some of the best foot speed. Left-handed hitter who right before the draft, like a good three months before the draft, 
changed his swing mechanics, and all of a sudden was able to hit fastballs and inside pitches more, which was the worry. The worry was he hits too many balls you know, to the opposite field. Is he going to learn how to pull the ball? Well, right before the draft, he figured that out. So is he fast? Yes. Is he strong? Yes. Is he huge? Yes. Does he have the right-handedness? Yes, he's a lefty. Uh, what about the work ethic and the mental makeup? Well, Vanderbilt wanted him. So this is a guy who I think has a higher probability of panning out than Mr. Wood here. However, what panning out for Spencer Jones could look like is a 245 batting average with 25 home runs, maybe eight stolen bases and corner outfield profile, left-handed bat, which it's a profile that it's fairly easy to find. But on the other side, if everything works out with Spencer Jones, you're looking at 15 stolen bases, 35 to 40 home runs. Um, so it's interesting. You're either looking at a guy who's important to have but fairly easy to find, or you're looking at something that's insanely hard to find and a superstar. Um, six seven, six seven, six seven, six seven. I mean, the, the six foot six. The game is changing, and you know what? While we're while we're with the big guys, this guy right here. He got given the opening day right fielder spot for the St. Louis Cardinals. Jordan Walker. I got this. Look, when he was getting drafted, I was a big fan because you don't see guys who are his size, six foot seven. Again, um, actually, he might be more like six foot six, but six, 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 seven, who have clean swing mechanics. Again, and I can't overstate this. The bigger you are, the harder it is to keep everything coordinated, everything moving in sync. Jordan Walker can do that. I watched him, you know, in the draft. I watched him through the minors. I saw him in person in the Arizona Fall League where it was like, this guy's a big leaguer. Like, you know, he may not be the best hitter in the league in terms of production, but it was very clear there wasn't exactly anything else for him to learn in the minors. He was a third baseman in the minors. He's moving to right field like most of these guys who are 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, um, but he went from double A to the big leagues. That's how much of the Cardinals thought of him. And I think he's going to be one of the Cardinals' four best hitters. I think he's going to be right up there with Wilson Contreras and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. That's how good of a hitter I think that Jordan Walker is going to be. I think he's big league ready. I think he's going to hit at least 30 home runs this season. If not... 25 home runs with 45 doubles. Um, and I think we're going to see some pretty amazing throws from him in the outfield as well, going from third base to right field as a six foot six, six foot seven guy. Um, so we got him as well. Joey Manesis. Now, this is a really fun one. Manesis, AKA Mr. 30 year old rookie, had never played a big league game till last year. Been in the minors forever, 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 forever. And he'd been mentioned here or there as like, oh, well, he may come up at some point. You know, nobody really thought anything of him. Then halfway through last year, he changes his swing mechanics and goes off in the minors, comes up to the big league, goes off in the big leagues, and it looks legitimate. Now, it's very rare for a guy to come up at that age and have a career. I'm thinking the most likely thing is, is that he goes off for one year this season and then kind of just peters out. But similar to Mitchell, you're still getting one season of being a stud, 
you're still getting that. So, I mean, it's, it, that, that, that matters. Um, let's go with a fun one. Like, uh, not like a fun in an interesting way, just a fun player. Like, uh, this dude is electric. Brandon Meia. He was taken near the top of the international class this year. The Yankees ended up signing him. I was kind of, the jury was out for me with regards to him because he didn't look like he was just going to mash his way to the big leagues. He looked like he might hit 250, you know? Um, He didn't look like he was going to hit 25 home runs, but, you know, it looked like he could hit around 20, 18, you know, somewhere around there. So I was kind of like, I don't know why we're really targeting him compared to some of these other guys. Then I found out that his defense in center field and his speed are top of the scale, 70s or 80s. Now, I don't think that they're 80s, and I'll be completely truthful. I doubt that both of them are 70s. But if even both are 65s, I'll take a 250 hitter with 15 home runs who's got that level defense in center field. And if that's just what he is now, the Yankees don't really go after guys who, at least these days, don't have insane amounts of work ethic. And Maia was seen as going to as a guy who was going to be at the top of his class for quite some time. So it's not like scouts didn't have the ability to see his work ethic and check in on him. Everybody knew about him. So he shows up just because of the ceiling. Now, the floor is he doesn't make it out of double A. But the ceiling, I mean, if you're looking at a guy who can 250 with 15 uh, home runs, 30 stolen bases, while being a plus-plus center fielder, I mean... that. There are guys on this list who can't do that. So, yeah, very, 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 very good talent. And it always means something if you're that type of talent coming off the international market. Because the international market is everyone. It's it's a massive group of people that all these scouts are uh, trying to convince their organization to throw millions of dollars at a teenager. That is, uh, you got to be pretty good to convince an organization to do that. Um, and, you know, I think I named this guy before as well. Duran for the uh, the Rangers. Ezekiel Duran, former Yankee. I have him as an outfielder because he's not the best defensive third baseman, but he does have a hose. He has a cannon of a throwing arm, and he lit double-A on fire like nobody's business last year to the point where they gave him big league time. They didn't even just give him a bunch of time in triple-A. I think he needs the time in triple-A. I think he should probably spend most of the year in AAA this year. I'd move him to right field already because there's no shot that he's going to be at third base for the team while Josh Young is in the fold. And in moving him to right field, I think that would allow him to really focus on the bat. If the bat comes through with Duran, maybe a 240 batting average, something like that, but you're looking at 25 home runs. And he's got a real good throwing arm. So he'd be hosing guys down on the bases. Um, which, you know, that, like I said, with Walker, if you go from third base to a corner outfield spot, you're going to be gunning guys out. Um, Oh, this is a fun one. Another guy that was taken in the draft, Drew Jones. Now for baseball fans who have been around a while, that name may sound a little bit familiar. If y'all were around in the 90s watching 90s baseball, playoff baseball, the Atlanta Braves were in it every single year. And they had the Jones boys. They had Chipper Jones and they had Andrew Jones. Well, Drew Jones is the son of Andrew Jones, which is, you know, you could get a little bit more creative with that name. But 
Okay. Um, Drew Jones, of the high schoolers that I've seen in recent years, has some of the highest potential I've, I've seen. If you're asking me, who does Drew Jones remind me of? He reminds me of Byron Buxton. He reminds me of a guy who could be one of the best defensive center fielders in the sport, multi-time gold glove stuff. A guy who could steal 35 bases a year for a long period of time because he's got those types of legs. He's got those yellowish legs that are never not going to be fast. And, you know, maybe he's not going to bat 300. He certainly could. At worst, you're looking at 260. And for the power, at worst, you're looking at is 25 home runs. So if you're one of the best defensive center fielders in the sport, stealing 35 bases a year with that power and that batting average, like I said, Byron Buxton. And if he's a if he's a healthier version of Buxton, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, if he's a healthier version of Buxton. Um, and let's go with another kid here. This guy, look, I, I've done this baseball thing for a long time. It's not very often where I look at a guy and I say, oh, my God, I haven't seen a guy this shredded in a long time. Sometimes that'll happen at the big leagues. In fact, it happens mostly at the big leagues. But when you enter a draft and one of the players at the top of the draft is bigger than most major league power hitters already, that stands out. I'm talking about Dylan Cruz. He's going to be taken in the draft this year, top three picks most likely. He's not on this list because he's a tremendous defender. He's not on this list because he's so great at hitting all these different types of pitches. He swings at strikes. He doesn't swing at balls. And if you put it in the strike zone, he has a high contact rate on that shore. But the amount of exit velocity that this guy has is absurd. This is a guy who, if you said he, you know, oh, five years from now, you know, who would have thought he's hitting 45 home runs a year? I would have thought. I would have thought this guy has that type of power. He may not be, you know, anything other than a Hoskins meaning he may not be as good versus certain breaking balls. Good pitching will probably be able to get him out. But you're still looking at a guy who's going to have a fantastic walk rate and who's going to hit around 40 homers a year. That plays. That plays on any team. Um, But that's kind of what I see. I see a guy who is just so, so damn strong that it, it, it doesn't really matter that he's not as good versus breaking balls. It really doesn't because he doesn't swing at balls. And anything he hits is just insanely – and his contact rates are fantastic. I mean, he's a very safe bet for at least 35 home runs a year, which is why he's going in the top five picks. Um, but seriously, if you want to see how shredded he is, I mean, literally, if you're hearing me say this, look him up. It's wild. It's wild how shredded he is. He's like Giancarlo Stanton type shredded. Um, another guy that is a is a Jones. You know, we named Spencer Jones. We named Drew Drew Jones. We're go, we're gonna go we're gonna go all Jones. We're gonna go all Jones. Greg Jones, Tampa Bay Rays. Greg Jones. Now, Greg Jones is a little bit old for his level. 
The guy hasn't figured out double A, and he's 23. He'll be 24 all year this year. That being said, he does have power. He does walk. And he does have some of the fastest speed of anyone in the majors or minors. So even though he is on the older side, if he's even able to find a way to hit a little, and mind you, he was he was taken pretty high up. The Rays really identified him early and took him high up in the draft. And the Rays are very smart. So in this case, as in many cases, I'm not looking at the age. I'm looking at the ability. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, this guy's so old at the big league level. I'm like, okay, cool. But is there a decline here? Are there red flags? No, then I don't care about the age. So it's similar with Jones. It's that Jones's abilities are such where it's still highly probable that he becomes an everyday big leaguer before he's 26, which is normal. And when he becomes one, you're looking at a guy who is not going to kill you for batting average or power, who 30, 35 stolen bases at minimum a year because of how fast he is. Um, if you have the ability to hit and run like that, it's big. It's big. You can dispel. Uh, you can you, you can deal with a 23 year old if that's the skill set. This is an interesting player. I got to see him in person. If I didn't get to see him in person, he would probably not show up on these lists. Andy Pajes, or as it's spelled, Andy Pages. It's pronounced Pajes. Um, right-handed hitter doesn't have left-handed hitting ability as an advantage. He's proven that he's not a center fielder, meaning he's a corner outfielder, so he's really going to have to hit. He has an extreme launch angle, which is always hard to maintain versus uh, higher velocities. Um, That being said, if he can maintain these things, and certainly he has the physicality to stay healthy for the whole season, he's the physicality to generate bat speed, um, he's gonna. He's, he spent a, a good time, a good deal of time in Double A last year. Held his own. If he conquers Double A with his profile, you can basically go Double A to the big leagues. And if he can crack it at the big leagues, because of his launch angle, it's not off of the uh, table for 35 home runs a year, at least before the league catches up. I do think the league will catch up. I think he's gonna strike out too much and he'll fall out of the league or at least fall into a platoon role. But similar to guys like Mitchell, I do think that he could go absolutely nuts power-wise for one season. And I do think he's a lot closer to the big leagues than a lot of people give him credit for. So another guy that we're going to do real quick here, because I we're, we're getting closer to the, to, to the end. No, Chris? You're, you you got the time on your hands. Yeah. Yeah? We're getting closer? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Vaughn Brown no one knows about Vaughn Brown spells his name V-A-U-N so that's interesting Vaughn Brown again it's a similar thing with age he was way too old for his level last year that being said the numbers that he put up regardless of age were obnoxious He's a guy who, given his age and given the numbers he put up, could be in the big leagues very shortly. And given that the Giants, his team, 
always find a way to scratch some hitting out of nowhere. It would not surprise me at all for two months into the season for them to bring him into the big leagues and have a very good year this year, similar to the last couple of guys before he has a fall off when the rest of the league gets to know him. But simply putting up those types of numbers, it makes it so that your floor is unbelievably high. Unbelievably high floor. And you know what? Let's talk about another guy who's going to be a flash in the pan. One really good year offensively and then going to fall out the league or at least become league average for the next couple of years. Similar to Jared Walsh did with the what, what he did with the Angels. And I'm talking about Alec Burleson. Burleson. Now, the guys who typically come into the league, they have one really good year and then they wash out are Tampa Bay Rays guys, San Francisco Giants guys like Vaughn Brown, and guys like Burleson, who is a St. Louis Cardinal. The Cardinals built, they built their whole last 20 years off of guys who are coming in, have a superstar year, and then the league adapts to them. Burleson is the latest guy out of that factory. He's going to have a real good year this year, and then he's going to turn into nothing, um, which is kind of sad. But if you can still say to your kids, I came into the league and I was 30% above league average in my first year, you can then say to your kids, you know, if they had only given me more playing time, I know I could have gotten back that whether you could have or you couldn't have, you still you, you, you could still tell your kids that. And, uh, you know, within some sort of scale of believability. So um, <laughs> that's Burleson. Again, not really to dunk on him. He's The Cardinals are one of the best teams in the majors this year. They could get to the World Series, and he would be part of the reason that they did that. If they get a title, then him having one good year and that's it. If I'd be him, that's good. That's more than good enough. I helped a team to a World Series title. That's my career. Um, and he's gonna either way, he's gonna drift around the the big leagues in some sort of capacity after that, similar to Walsh. All right, Jackson Chorio. Now he has a brother, so you got to remember it's Jackson. It's not it's not his brother. I believe his brother's name is Jason, spelled G-E-I-S. But the point is, Jackson Chorio, there are people who are good scouts that are saying this is the type of guy who could Ronald Acuna or who could Juan Soto, where they're, they go from high A to the big leagues in a year. They don't miss a step. And they're studs in the big leagues just because they have that level of talent. You're talking about a superstar's superstar. I don't know if he's going to do it. But the fact is, if you're getting that much industry acclaim, there's something going on there. There we go. Jackson Churio. Now, if you have that much industry acclaim, even if I don't identify it, what you're good at, it's then probably identified by people who see the guy play every day. Similar to Anthony Volpe. Volpe on highlights, he looks okay. He looks good. You know, just, just good. Nothing, not, No issues on highlights. But people who watch him in person are blown away by him. So it's one of those things. Some guys are like that. Doesn't happen a lot, but some guys are like that. So... That's Churio. Similarly, we want to talk about another guy who's super, super young. And Chris, please let me know when we're getting closer to the end. Like, text me or something like that. Because I don't want to, you know, run us into the ground just talking player after player. You know what I mean? No, we've got about like, uh, like five more minutes. Perfect. Excellent. So, sim- similar to Churio, we have 
Christian, again, I have to call, I have to pronounce it like that because it's a T-H, Christian Vaquero. Now, Vaquero, Christian Vaquero, you're looking at a guy who typically when you see the speed, the size, the athleticism of a guy like that, you're talking about the NFL. He's that type of electric athlete. And you know what? Since we're going with him, we should go with Elijah Green as well. Green's on here as well. Green's another guy who that's the profile. It's not that he's a – oh, he's a baseball player. He's a football player playing baseball. Elijah Green, taken in the draft fairly high up, 70 to 80-degree power, 70 to 80-degree speed. The question is what else is he? Is he going to hit for enough batting average to have that hold? Because that's kind of all he needs to do. If you got 70-degree power, 80-degree speed, or even if it's just 70-70, you don't really have to do too much else to be a superstar. You know, 30-30, if you even bat 240 with 30 homers and 30 steals, you're a superstar. All right. Oh, here's another one. Given that the WBC just ended. Yoshida. Masataka Yoshida. Now... He's now with Boston, which I think is kind of the best spot for him because Yoshida is not a great defender, nor is he a bad defender. So you can kind of put him in left field and he can focus on the bat. Um, If Yoshida is late on the ball because big league velocity is significantly harder than the NPB and he ends up, you know, meeting Yoshida is not going to have issues making contact. The worry was driving the ball. If Yoshida makes even close to solid contact. And instead of pulling the ball, which would be optimal, he ends up you know, not meeting it early enough to pull the ball and he hits it to the opposite field. Well, that will be fine because they have the green monster there. So I think that having the green monster and having him in left field so he can focus on the bat and having the lineup protection that they have in a year where the shift is going away, I think that the idea there is between all of those different factors, you get Yoshida comfortable enough to start timing big league fastballs, and then you see what happens after that. Because at worst, you have another Alex Verdugo. They're a very similar player, although I think I think Verdugo's getting worse. And I think Yoshida could probably do what, Yoshida, what, what uh, Verdugo does in a normal year. So if you're curious about what he's going to go do, look at what Verdugo did last year or the year before. That's what he'll do. Um, now we have the other Marte, Cattell Marte. Now, Cattell Marte, he can play second base, and he can play center field. I don't like him in either. <laughs> I don't. Uh, if you put him in a corner outfield spot, however, I think the range plays. I don't think he overthinks things the way he does in center field. And I also think that the arm plays up. Further than both of those things, I think if he gets put in a corner outfield spot, that defense is automatic, meaning he's not going to have to focus on that type of thing, which is important because he needs to focus on the bat. The base running isn't where it used to be with Cattell Marte. Everything has to be with the bat. Now, he went off in the first half of last year, but in the second half of last year, analytically speaking, he was basically the most unlucky hitter in all of baseball. With the shift going away, you could spark him, at least for one last year. The Diamondbacks certainly need that. 
All right, last guy, and then the rest of these players you're going to have to pick up on in part two. Last guy that we're going to do. Let's see. Let me choose a good one. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? Let's end on one that's going to make uh, fans feel better about their team. Instead of talking about someone who's good or someone who's going to come up in a few years, let's talk about someone who people have been wishing they were good and who's finally going to take that next step next year, which, by the way, for their team is needed. I have very many issues with the Seattle Mariners uh, offense. Uh, that almost deserves its own podcast. But I think that this is the year that former top prospect Jared Kelnick, I think that this is the year that he turns himself into an above-average, everyday corner outfielder. I think this is the year the power comes in. I think that last couple of years, his swing mechanics weren't entirely geared for him to be able to get the bat head around in time. It almost seemed like he was using too heavy of a bat. But this last year, the swing mechanics came around. He was as good as I've ever seen him. Uh, and when I mean that, like any at any level in the minors, at any level in the minors. And if even a little bit of that translates, you're talking about a guy who's going to be at least 15% above league average as a left-handed bat, especially with the shift going away, in a lineup that's going to give him protection, whether the pitchers know it or not. What I mean by that is their lineup is going to have quite a few fall-offs. I don't know how many pitchers know that, though. So either way, he's going to get pitches to hit because their, their lineup at least in if I'm a pitcher, I still have to navigate it. Given the fact that he wasn't producing, I think he's going to get his pitches. Let me put his name right here. Hellenic. <laughs> you, you imagine he becomes a hitting coach one day. It's like uh, Jared Kellenic put on a Kellenic, a clinic, a clinic, clinic. Kill me now. Um, <laughs> I think that's what we have all we have room for today, though. So definitely check back on uh, on on this channel for the next one. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. We'll let's, see you on go. The next one. let's go. Let's go. Let's go.